Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. We've selected uh, three special hymns this morning that point our eyes towards our eternal home. And we are reminded that this world is not our home. Amen. We're pilgrims and we're strangers passing through. And the time is soon approaching when we will be called home. And the question comes up, how are we spending our last days? What are we focused on? There was a time in the history of the church when the question of whether to sing psalms or hymns in church services was an issue. Isaac Watts from Southampton, England, was the lifelong champion of the, of the humanly composed hymns, while the majority of the English-speaking churches insisted on the more traditional psalms singing, where the words could only come from Scripture. It was music put to, to Scripture. It's said that tempers frequently flared, and some churches actually split in the heat of the decidedly inharmonious musical conflict. In some churches, however, a compromise was reached. Because of the controversy between singing of psalms and the singing of hymns, the church decided to sing psalms at the beginning of the service and then have the preaching, and, and afterwards they would sing hymns. And many people who were still against the hymns would get up and leave the service after the preaching was done. Believe it or not, they would walk out of the church when the hymns were sung. They'd do this in protest. And it was at this time that Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, We're Marching, we're not marching out of the church, we're marching to Zion, to refute this practice of people walking out during the hymn singing. And he addressed the issue directly. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God, but children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad. And it was a stark reminder to turn our focus away from the frivolities of such differences and such arguments and the pettiness of this world and turn our focus to heaven. Let us march to our home. We're marching. We're not meandering. We're not strolling. We're not wandering. We're marching with purpose and anticipation because we know where we're going. Amen? Amen. Let's sing it. We're marching to Zion. Who never 
Robert Lowry was an American professor of literature, a Baptist pastor of several large churches in the late 1800s, and he was a music editor at Bigelow Publishing Company. He wrote close to 500 hymns, including I Need Thee Every Hour, Low in the Grave He Lay, One Hot Afternoon in July of 1864, as Pastor Lowry was resting on his sofa, Thoughts of heaven pervaded his senses, and he imagined the bright golden throne room and a multitude of saints gathered around the beautiful, cool, crystal river of life. And he was filled with such a, a great sense of joy. He began to wonder why there seemed to be many hymns that referenced the river of death, crossing over chilly Jordan, but very few that mentioned the river of life. As he mused, the words and music to shall we gather at the river came to his heart and mind. And shall we gather at the river has become a favorite song of, of camp meetings and church services, baptismal services. And for us, it's such a great reminder that we will gather again with all of our ransomed loved ones who've gone before us, with all of the saints of all time in praise and worship of the one who saved us will be in his presence, and we will see him face to face. What a joyous celebration it will be as we gather with the saints at the river that flows by the throne of God. Let's sing it.
we can't help but sing with joy. from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Yeah, hometown. <laughs> it was written in 94, 1994. And he says, he writes of it, he says, I attended a lot of brethren or gospel hall meetings as a small boy. And somehow the theology of Old Testament stories 
and characters being either as themselves or by their actions types or examples of Christ and the church got stuck in my head. That is, even though they were historical, factual people living in the old covenant days, their actions and characters can be used to teach and represent the character of God under the new covenant. And they continually and repeatedly point to Christ. It's a reminder that despite how spiritually dark this world has become, these are days not of failure and submission, but of the sort of resilient, declaring trust and hope that Elijah had in God. That these are not days of God stepping back and allowing the world and the church to roll uncontrolled towards eternity, but rather days when he is calling on his body to make a stand, to offer right praises and to declare that he is still in control. These are days that will soon culminate with the beautiful, glorious return of Christ for his bride. He is coming, and he is coming soon. Are we ready? Are we living in light of eternity? Are we living with the expectant hope of his soon return? You know, when he comes back for us, may he find us living for him harmoniously, faithfully, and busy in his service. Any day now, we will be able to say with the author of this song, Behold, he comes. Riding 
the clouds shining like the sun at the trumpet call lift your voice it's the year of jubilee and out of zion's hill salvation comes behold he comes Well, good morning, everyone, again. That was, uh, that was kind of special this morning, wasn't it, from the, uh, from the worship team? And uh, that song from Belfast, boy, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was really, really special. Um, so we go home today, folks, to, you know, to our other, we do have another home, so we're going home today, and you know, I'm going home for a rest. Uh, uh, I don't... Uh, I don't preach every Sunday at home, and uh, these last uh, these last three Sundays have been have been here, and uh, it's just been a joy. We we'll, we do really love you all, and you've become special special friends, and uh, we feel very much here. And it was so interesting just at the fellowship time that we were talking about, uh, you know, going home and so on. And Adel was saying, you know, we're praying that you're going to come here full time, and. Anna said to Adel, but my mother's praying we're not going to come full time. <laughs> oh dear, so we'll see who wins. <laughs> oh dear. 
So uh, this morning we're going to read, please, in the New Testament, and it's in the Gospel by uh, Luke. I, I want to refer to quite a number of verses, but we'll just read one portion I'll do, I think. Um, <clears throat> and it's from the Gospel by Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse number 7. So it's Luke chapter 2, verse number 7, reading down to verse number 14. Luke 2, verse 7, And she brought uh, forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now that's all that we will uh, need to read at this stage uh, this morning. And I know what you're all thinking. You're either thinking it's either a bit early or it's a bit late <laughs> <laughs> to be reading about the birth, the dear Saviour's birth. And yes, it was at Christmas time that <clears throat> I was reading again these uh, familiar verses about the Saviour's birth into the world. And, you know, it never ever loses its freshness and it never loses its sweetness. How that he came from heights of glory down to a manger and was born as a babe in Bethlehem that he might go to the cross and shed his precious blood and bleed and die and suffer in our guilty room instead. We feel like saying, as we think of these things again, we feel like saying, Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. What a Savior. But you know, when I read these verses at Christmas time, <clears throat> my mind actually was turned in another direction, and that's what I want to, to share with you this morning. That um, Did you notice that in the, in the record of Luke of the Savior's birth, that have you noticed the prominence of angels? How that um, angels... Uh, not only predicted his birth, but actually proclaimed his birth. And I've noticed that right through the New Testament and through the life of the Lord Jesus, that angels are very, very prominent in our Bible. And so I want to speak to you this morning about the ministry of angels. You know, I was, I was saying to a man recently that probably in the past, probably 10 years, I've only, I think, ever once in those 10 years heard anyone speaking about the ministry of angels. And I want to encourage you this morning that probably they are more interested in us than we have ever been up until now in them. 
And I hope as you see how angels are interested in us that it might be an encouragement to you that you're not alone in the world and that there is a ministry of angels that is preservative and that is helpful and that is very prominent as we read our New Testament Bible. I noticed, first of all, that at the beginning of the gospel, particularly in Luke and in, in Matthew, you will find that there are four messages from angels. And each of them begin with these words, fear not. The ministry of angels begins with these two words on four occasions at the beginning of our gospel, fear not. And whenever I'm gone and not here, and whenever you're uh, proceeding with your life, and whenever you're not in church, but you're out in the world and you're at your job or whatever, I would like that these two words might be a stabilizing influence, and that they might be a helpful word to you in the circumstances in which you find yourselves in life, the words of the angels, fear not. The first words that the angels speak, the first two words that angels speak to was to Mary. To Mary. And the angel comes to Mary and it says that angel, Mary was troubled about these things. She had a troubled heart. And you know, there are, there are people like Mary. You know, she was just a young girl. She was possibly still in her later teens. She was possibly only at the very most about 20 years of age. And Mary had a troubled heart because of the words of the angels. But the angel said, fear not, Mary. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now I'm going to suggest that in an audience like this and in a company like this, there are sisters, there are ladies here that have a troubled heart. We cannot live in the world that we live in with its difficulties and burdens and problems and cares without someone in a meeting like this having a troubled heart. And I would love that you might keep this within your heart in days to come, the words of the angels to Mary, fear not. There is one that cares. There is one that understands. Mary didn't know what the future held. Mary, Mary did not know what was going to unravel or unfold in, months, in those months that were to come. But the angel said, fear not. Mary. You know, there are, <clears throat> there are seven Marys in our New Testament Bible. Someday that would be a delightful study to look at the seven Marys that we find in our New Testament Bible. But this one is very, very special, the mother of our blessed Lord. And to anyone here this morning that has a troubled heart, particularly maybe even a young lady, a young sister, remember the words, of Mary, the words of the angels to Mary, fear not Mary. I hope that will be an encouragement to those of you particularly who 
our young. And then the next message, the next message is in the gospel by Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 20. This time it's to a young man. This time it's to a young man. And the angel comes to Joseph, and Joseph has become aware of what has happened with Mary. It's evident that Mary is with child. And it almost seems to me that Mary hasn't told Joseph the circumstances. It seems that she hasn't explained to him how she came to be with child. And so Joseph is troubled about these things. And the Bible says he was minded to put her away privately in order that he might not make her a public example. But the angel comes and he says, Fear not, Joseph, to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. And you know, in this audience too this morning, there are young men. There are young men here that are going to be leaders in days to come. There are young men who are going to be raised up of God to take responsibility in the church and leadership and eldership and guidance. And you say to yourself, would I ever be capable of it? Could I ever do it? Would I be able to, to carry it through? Listen to the words of the angel to Joseph. Fear not Joseph. There's a word for young ladies. There's a word for young men. Fear not Joseph. The third word is Leviticus 1, sorry, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 13, where the angel comes to Zacharias, and here's what it is. Fear not, Zacharias. Thy prayer is heard. This is not so much to a young lady. This is not so much to a young man. This third fear not of the angel is to a praying man. And dear brothers and dear sisters, if ever we need anything in Christian life, we need, we need men and women who pray. And to praying people who as yet have had prayers unanswered and who sometimes perhaps wonder in the depths of despair, will my prayer ever be heard? Remember the word to Zacharias. Fear not, Zacharias. Thy prayer is heard. Who was it? I'm not sure who it was of the older preacher's as he came to the end of his life, he said, if I had my life to live over again, I would preach less and I would pray more. Oh, how we need to pray. We need to pray for ourselves that we might be preserved. We need to pray for the church. We need to pray for the nation. Oh, that we might be encouraged some of you are praying for unsaved loved ones in the family. And here's a word of encouragement from the angel. Fear not, Zacharias. 
thy prayer is heard. The fourth and last one of these prayers of these fear nots is in Luke 2, verse 10. And do you remember how the glory of the Lord overshone the shepherds? And the Bible says, as we read together, it says, and they were sore afraid. They were afraid in their hearts. And the angel said, Fear not, fear not. This isn't so much to a young lady. This isn't so much to a young man. This isn't so much to praying people. This is a fear not to the shepherds, to those that care for the flock. The other Monday evening, when I was speaking with the men, I encouraged them that they might pray for the shepherds. You know, it's a wonderful thing in a church to have people with a shepherd heart. People that care. People that watch. People that give up their time. People that have not only an ear for people's problems, but have a heart for people's worries and cares. And I want to encourage you all this morning and to especially encourage the shepherds, fear not the word of the angel. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible, the first man whose blood was ever shed was a shepherd? The first man to ever cry out in pain in the open field was a shepherd. Abel was a keeper of sheep. And I think that in a very special way in these days when shepherds and elders have become the target and the subject of the attacks of the evil one, we need to pray for men that are shepherds, that they might be preserved and that they might be kept and that they might be helped. You know, when anything goes wrong, it's always the shepherd's fault. Isn't that right? It's never our fault. It's always the elder's. Oh, we need to pray for the shepherds. We're thankful for men with shepherd hearts. And so, folks, this morning, the first words of the angels to a young lady, to a young man, to praying people and the shepherds is fear not, fear not. And I trust that these things, these early words of the angels might be a, an encouragement into whatever category we find ourselves in of those four this morning. Now, when we come to angels, you know, <clears throat> we don't really know uh, very much about angels. There's a lot in the Bible that is uh, hidden from us as far as angels is concerned, even though they are very mentioned. They're mentioned very often. They're mentioned in the Lord's parables. And uh, it says in, in Matthew 25 that when the Lord comes back in glory, he's going to be accompanied by his holy angels. So there's a lot about them that we don't know. But the first thing I want to tell you about angels is this, that they weren't always there. No, no. Angels weren't always there. We've been singing this morning about heaven and, 
and, and, and so on. No, the angels weren't always there. The angels were created. And you'll find an interesting verse away back. You know, these are the days of Ezekiel we were singing. And away in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15, there is a tremendous verse there in the Old Testament where God is speaking to Satan, to the devil, and he says to him, Thou wert perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created. From the day thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. And it teaches us that angels weren't always there, that angels were created, they're created beings. And in the Old Testament, we find too that angels pre existed before the foundation of the world. In Job 38, when the Lord was laying the foundations of the world. <laughs> We believe that, don't we? We believe that he laid the foundations of the world. We don't believe that we were swimming about like frogs. Or <laughs> We believe he laid the foundations of the world. And you know, whether it was six days as we understand them, or whether it was some other... I never really got too hung up on that. All I knew was that he laid the foundations of the world. And when he laid the foundations of the world, the Bible says in the book of Job, it says, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. The sons of God. So that angels are sons of God. Now we are sons of God by... Generation, by regeneration. Not right? We became a son of God the night that we were born again. Angels became sons of God by creation. But the Lord Jesus was son of God eternally. Never was a time when he was not, when he was not the son. He was the eternal son of the eternal father. Isaiah 9 verse 6, he was the child born, but he was the son given. He didn't become a son at Bethlehem. He always was the son. Amen. You see, some people say to me at times at home, why do you religious people, why, why do you all disagree? Sure, you all, you all worship the same God. But I tell you this, we don't all worship the same God. The God that I worship was the one that created the worlds. The one, the God that I worship had an eternal son and he is the eternal father. And we cannot understand that. Three persons in the one Godhead. We are not Unitarians. We are Trinitarians. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in the one Godhead. I cannot explain it, but I believe it. You see, this is not very... Politically, politically correct what I'm going to say, but there was a little boy one time, and there's no shame in this. He was a wee bit, he was a wee bit, what could I say, maybe less intelligent than some of the others in his class. 
to the extent that the other boys gave him a nickname. And you know what they called him? They called him Silly Billy. Silly Billy. And one day in the Sunday school class, the Sunday school teacher is trying to teach the class about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, yet three persons within that Godhead, all in equality. And at the end, he said, now, I know this is difficult, but do any of you understand? And all was quiet. And all of a sudden, a little voice piped up, and it was Silly Billy. And the voice said, this, this does Silly Billy see, three in one, and one in three, and one of these has died for me. Isn't that nice? This does Silly Billy see. Three and one, and one and three, and one of these has died for me. So we're thankful that we believe in a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the angels only were created. They became sons of God by creation, so different to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you come to the appearance of angels, it's interesting, dear sisters, that any time you read of angels in the Bible, they're always men. They're always in the masculine gender. And it's interesting too that at the, uh, in the Gospel of Mark's account uh, of the resurrection, it's interesting that they're, they're seen as young men. Young men. You see, they take character from the country from which they come. They're young. And I want to tell you this this morning. I believe that in heaven... We're all going to be young. And in heaven, there'll be no sticks or hearing aids or pins or pills or, 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 or pills or anything like that. We're all going to be young. So I was telling Edel one day, you'll have to excuse me for telling this wee story, Edel, but there's a lovely, I don't know if this would stand the test of theology, but I'm going to tell you to it anyway, because there's a lovely man in our meeting, uh, Andrew knows him, Harry Andrews. You know, every time Harry comes into the church, boy, he just brings the very presence of the Lord with him. He's a smile on his face, and you always want, you always want to hear Harry speaking. And he was telling us one morning, he says, I was visiting this old lady. She was just over 90. And in the course of the conversation, they were speaking just like the, the songs this morning. They were, they were speaking about heaven. And she said to him, quite out of the blue, she said, Harry, Harry, what age, what age am I going to be in heaven? And Harry said, I think you're going to be 33. Oh, she said, I'm going to be 33 again. Harry says, yes, I think you're going to be 33. So she said to him, how could I be 33 again? Well, Harry said, well, <clears throat> he said, what age was the Lord Jesus when he went back to heaven? She said, well, he was 33. Well, he says, do you remember in the book of the Acts chapter 1 that the angels who witnessed that ascension of the Lord Jesus, do you remember that, that he said to them, this same Jesus, 
This same Jesus shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. Now, what age was he when he went? She said he was 33. And she said, and he said, well, what age is it? If it's the same Jesus, what age is he going to be when he comes back? She says he's going to be 33. Well, he says, is there not another wee verse in 1 John 3, verse 2, which says, and when he returns, we shall be like him. We shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. What age are you going to be in heaven? I'm going to be 33. I don't know if that will stand the test of theology, but I'll tell you this. I tell you this, we're all going to be young. And what a place, what a place heaven, what a place heaven must be. You know, the book of Revelation says, and there shall be no more death. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, we've shed too many tears here. The tears of bereavement and the tears of sorrow and sadness and sickness and ill health and the tears about our families and the tears of anxiety that flood upon us at times. God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes, and there shall be no more pain, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more death, for the former things have passed away. We're going to be like the angels, and we're going to be like the Lord Jesus. We're going to be forever young So then appearance, they were like men, and they were you're like young men. They spoke in human language that people could understand. And then they had human names. Gabriel. There's a Gabriel here. I met him the other day. I was telling him every Roman Catholic in Ireland's called Gabriel nearly. <laughs> I knew that he must be an Irishman somewhere along the line. And Michael, these are angels' names. And then there are degrees of ranks of angels. There seems to me to be angels and dark angels and cherubim and seraphim. And it must be a wonderful scene in heaven with these angels each having their own sphere and each having their own particular position in relation to the service of God in heaven. So these are all things about the background of angels. But what I want to come to is how they are interested in us. And I want to show you, as we close, I want to show you four ways in which angels are interested in ourselves. Our brother Rick this morning read from Luke chapter 15 about the sheep that was lost. And did you notice that when the sheep that was lost and when it was found, did you read that it said that there was joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. And if you read on down that chapter where the silver is recovered, it says there shall be joy in the presence of the angels in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Now listen, I, wanna, I want you to be encouraged over this, that you might think that in life you are not very important. And you might think that in a church even of this size that your contribution 
really doesn't matter much. But I want to tell you this and encourage you in this, that every one of you, from these young people to the oldest believer in the meeting, whoever has trusted in the Lord Jesus as Savior, let this grip your soul today. I have brought joy to the very presence of the angels in heaven. I've read that verse many times and never really stopped to think about it. Imagine I have brought joy in heaven. The night that I got saved, there was joy in heaven. You know what I believe? I believe that joy never ceases. Because all over the world today, in the Emerald Isle, and in this great country of yours, and from the east and to the west and to the north and to the south, millions are being saved. And the joy of heaven, it never, never ends when angels hear of another soul to Jesus born and ransomed from the fall, we have brought joy to the presence of the angels in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thing? See, it mightn't bring much joy down here. I have a friend, and when he got saved, he, he wrote a letter to his mother. He thought it would be better because his mother wasn't converted, and he thought it would be better if he wrote in a letter and explained to his mother how he had found the Savior for himself. And he wrote in this letter that he had found the Savior, and in due course he got a letter back. And you know what the letter said? It said, Dear Billy, that was his name. It said, Dear Billy, you don't need to make a song and dance about your salvation. Didn't bring his mother any joy. She didn't understand. But the joy that was found in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. So remember that angels are interested in our conversion. Secondly, and the time is going so quickly, secondly, I want to refer you to Hebrews 1 verse 14 where it says of angels that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them that shall be heirs of salvation. That means I believe that angels serve those who are believers. And I want to tell you, friends, today that I believe that every Christian has a guardian angel sent forth to minister to serve those that shall be heirs of salvation. Who are the heirs of salvation? Those of us who are saved. We have an angel watching over us and preserving us and caring for us. I was surprised. There was a man here, not looking at anyone in particular, and he told me it's a turbo car. A turbo car! Folks, and we go out in our turbo cars. What preserves us upon the roads from accidents and harm and danger? I believe that angels preserve us and watch over us. And I said to you before, they seem to have more interest in us than ever we have in them. So I believe that angels are interested in our salvation. I believe that angels are interested in our physical life to preserve us. And then, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10, where Paul is in that very difficult chapter to understand, 1 Corinthians 11, where he's dealing with headship and he's dealing with lordship. 
and he's telling us about how there has to be order in the church and the difference between the man and the woman, and it's so difficult for to understand. You know what he adds? Because of the angels. Because of the angels. And can you understand this morning that as we meet together, angels are watching, and the angels are learning the order of God in the way that we conduct ourselves in the church. So I don't want to be unkind to anyone, but that's why we're not dancing in the aisles this morning. That's why we're not rolling on the floor this morning. Because of the angels. Because they look on and they see the divine order that God has ordained. And the submissiveness of the sisters and the prominence of our dear brethren. And they watch this order and they learn the wisdom of God as they observe the happenings in the church. So angels are interested in our salvation, in our physical protection, in our spiritual life. I want to take you as we close, I want to take you to Luke chapter 16, verse 22. And there you remember the rich man and Lazarus. And you remember how that when Lazarus died, what happened? You know, it doesn't even say that Lazarus was buried. He was so poor. But it says he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I want to suggest to you very gently this morning, dear saints, that at the end of life's journey, when a saint is leaving time and going out into eternity, I want to suggest to you that what happened to Abraham, what, what happened to Lazarus, is exactly true of what happens at the home call of every believer. Their soul is escorted from that old frail body and escorted by the angels right home to the courts of glory above. Amen. We don't die alone. Amen. Angels have an interest in the passing of the believer. We had a preacher at home he was called Mr. Mr. Rowan Jennings. He told us one time, he said, you know, he said, whenever the Lord died on Calvary, he said, he took away the fear of death. That's Hebrews 2. By death he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So the Lord on his death took away the fear of death. But he said this, he said he never took away the fear of dying. The fear of dying. Isn't it an enemy? A cruel enemy. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And how comforting to know that at the end of life's journey there are angels hovering and waiting to escort that redeemed soul right to the very courts above. So can you be encouraged this morning that angels are interested in your salvation. They're interested in your physical protection. They're interested in your spiritual life and gathering. And even interested 
in your soul at the end of life's journey. Why do we read Luke chapter 2? Because of the angels. What must they have thought? As the one behold before whom they veil their faces. Isaiah says they feel their faces with two wings, with two wings. They flew with two wings, they covered their feet. What must angels have felt as they saw the Lord Jesus in a manger? In a manger. Him whom the heavens could not contain found accommodation in a humble stable. Wrapped in swaddling bands. The shepherd, the angel said, this shall be a sign unto you. What was the sign? What was the sign? It couldn't have been the swaddling bands because there are many babes that were wrapped in swaddling bands. I believe the sign was they would find him lying in a manger. In the cattle shed. In the stall where cattle at their hay, the Lord of glory lay. Mary was that mother mild, and Jesus Christ, her little child. Oh, dear friends, this morning be encouraged. The ministry of angels, and whatever the circumstances of life, I want you to keep this in your heart. The angels said, Fear not. Good. It's so encouraging for us as we say a prayer. How the Lord takes care of his people. We're not alone. We have the Lord, we have the angels, each one of us. And we heard all the explanations. Thank God we're saved. We are fully protected, fully insured to go along life's journey, not alone, but we're accompanied. So as we say goodbye to our brother and his wife, Anne, let's remember the blessing he left behind him and wish them a safe journey home and look forward to see them back with us again. Our Father, we pray that this message from heaven that we heard will accompany each and every one of us. And if there are some who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, we pray that before leaving this place, they will not leave alone. They will take the Lord as their Savior. And then they will have their angels to protect them. We pray for our brother that you send your angels to protect him and his wife all the way 
until, until he reaches home, Belfast. Bless him, bless his family, and we pray that you bless his business too. And as we get ready to go home, may we go home not forgetting what we've heard, but getting closer to you, appreciating the way you take care of us on this journey. Dismiss us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.